I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Welcome to this podcast of The People's Pharmacy. You can find previous podcasts and more information on a range of health topics at peoplespharmacy.com. A mysterious meat allergy is becoming increasingly common. Why are so many people developing alpha-gal allergy? This is The People's Pharmacy with Terry and Joe Graydon. Summer is a time when lots of people enjoy cookouts. It's also a time when tick bites are especially common. This has turned into a bad combination. People who have enjoyed burgers, hot dogs, and barbecue their entire lives may suddenly develop an allergy to red meat. Symptoms can be delayed for hours after eating. They range from hives or heartburn to trouble breathing. Why has this allergy been so difficult to diagnose? Coming up on The People's Pharmacy, meat allergies and other tick-borne diseases. In The People's Pharmacy Health Headlines. One of the most distinctive symptoms of a COVID infection is loss of the sense of smell. A new study of nearly 30,000 American adults has found that about 60% of those who had COVID lost their sense of smell during the infection. In addition, nearly that many also had blunting of their sense of taste. Not quite three-fourths of these individuals regained their senses of smell or taste after they recovered from COVID, That left about 27% with only a partial recovery, or none at all. People who suffered more severe cases of COVID-19 were more likely to lose their gustatory senses and less likely to recover them. The authors of this research estimate that more than 20 million Americans may be suffering from a diminished sense of smell or taste. Over the last several years, rates of influenza have been surprisingly low. Precautions taken against COVID infections may have had some impact on the transmission of the flu. That may be changing. We often look to Australia and the Southern Hemisphere for signs of the coming flu season. It's currently winter down under, and flu is hitting hard there. Influenza started early and is hitting children especially hard. Scientists report that this year's flu strains are different from last year's versions. Although the U.S. does not always follow the same path, a bad flu season in Australia often foretells what we can expect in about five to six months. This may be a good year to get a flu shot in the fall before the virus starts to spread. How important is physical activity to a healthy lifestyle? A commentary in the journal Diabetes Care suggests that primary care providers should assess it at every visit, as a lifestyle vital sign. The authors are responding to a large long-term study utilizing the UK Biobank data. Early in the study, 90,000 participants wore a wrist accelerometer for seven days for an objective evaluation of their physical activity. Over the next decade of follow-up, about 2,000 of the volunteers were diagnosed with type 2 diabetes. The relationship with physical activity was strong, but inverse. That's to say, people who were more active were less likely to develop this metabolic condition. People with the habit of spending 20 minutes a day on a brisk walk were 20% less likely than couch potatoes to develop diabetes. As a result, the commenters conclude that 
when it comes to physical activity for type 2 diabetes prevention, some is better than none, more is better, and earlier is best. Although an active lifestyle early in life offers good protection, it's never too late to reap the benefits of physical activity. Over the last few decades, there's been considerable controversy about the effects of alcohol on the heart. Some studies have suggested that moderate alcohol consumption may reduce the risk of heart attacks and prolong life. Others show no reduction in premature mortality. A new study proposes that light to moderate alcohol consumption reduces the risk of major adverse cardiovascular events by lowering stress levels. The investigators analyzed data from the Mass General Brigham Biobank. There were over 53,000 participants. About 24,000 did not consume alcohol. 27,000 people were light to moderate alcohol consumers. These drinkers had fewer cardiovascular problems, such as heart attacks and strokes. Brain imaging studies suggested that one possible mechanism is reduced stress-related activity in the brain because of alcohol consumption. Research from Finland shows that people who live in sunnier neighborhoods get a boost in brain power. More than 1,800 middle-aged Finns participated in extensive cognitive testing. The investigators calculated daily exposure to solar radiation for each participant's zip code. Those with greater residential exposure to sunlight performed better on tests of learning, visual memory, and attention. And that's the health news from the People's Pharmacy this week. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. I'm a medical anthropologist. And I'm Joe Graydon. I'm a pharmacologist. And today, we're talking about a mysterious meat allergy triggered by a tick bite. Lots of people are aware that ticks can cause a range of serious illnesses, from Lyme disease and Rocky Mountain spotted fever to babesiosis and ehrlichiosis. Fewer people are aware that getting bitten by a lone star tick could lead to a serious allergic reaction if they eat red meat. Here in the studio, we have two of the country's leading experts on this allergy ready to answer your questions. Dr. Scott Cummins is Associate Professor of Medicine and Associate Chief for Allergy and Immunology at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. He's also the Medical Director of the UNC Allergy and Immunology Clinic. Welcome, Dr. Cummins. Thank you so much. And we have Dr. Sarah McGill. She is Associate Professor of Medicine at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill in the Department of Gastroenterology. Her expertise is in the gastrointestinal presentation of the meat allergy that we're going to refer to as alpha-gal. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy, Dr. McGill. Thank you. It's a pleasure to be here. And if you have questions about alpha-gal meat allergy, now is your chance to call them in. Our number is 888-472-3366. You can email us, radio at peoplespharmacy.com. 
If you prefer, you can send a message via Facebook or Twitter. We're at People's Pharmacy. Again, the phone number, 888-472-3366. If you've experienced alpha-gal allergy, share what it's like. We'd like to hear your story. And I'd like to begin with just a little bit of history about this unusual malady. Dr. Cummins, you were part of the team that really kind of figured out the puzzle, and it was a big puzzle. Can you tell us about it, please? Sure. It's a fascinating story, and it's important to know that there, at the time, were really two aspects to the alpha-gal story. The first is that reactions were occurring to a cancer drug called cetuximab throughout the southeast. We didn't really understand why that was occurring. The cancer doctors were seeing it. It was happening at the first infusion. It was very consistent. So patients who reacted the first time would react every time they received this medicine. And it was completely different than what was printed on the physician prescribing information. The second part of the story is the meat allergy. What's fascinating is that alpha-gal, the sugar, connects both forms of the allergic reactions. From the meat allergy side of it, we were seeing a few patients. I was at the University of Virginia at the time working with Tom Platts Mills. We were seeing a few patients who were telling us, you know, doc, I think I could be allergic to beef, but it's weird. Doesn't happen every time. It's delayed. And You know, I thought I was beef, so I stopped eating beef, and now I think I'm allergic to pork. And we had a few other patients who even said lamb. And it turns out this alpha-gal sugar unites it all because it is found in all lower mammals. We as humans don't have it, but all lower mammals, so cows, pigs, sheep, contain alpha-gal, and that becomes the story of alpha-gal syndrome. What does the tick have to do with it? Yeah, this is also a really interesting part of of how people develop alpha-gal syndrome. We knew something had to change the immune system because these were often adults who had safely eaten beef or pork or lamb for their entire lives, but then something changes. And it turns out that the tick bite is what changes the immune response to alpha-gal. So fast-forwarding, almost a decade now, what we know is that some ticks seem to carry alpha-gal. And going through the skin, it turns out, is a a fantastic way to make an allergic response. So the tick bites a human, and in the setting of the tick saliva, alpha-gal then triggers this allergic reaction from the human immune system. So the next time you eat something that has alpha-gal, you're primed to react. Now, what fascinates me is when I think of allergy, I think of runny nose, stuffy nose. I think of asthma. I think of skin rash. I don't think of the digestive tract. So, Dr. McGill, we hear over and over again, somebody says, well, I had a burger at 8 o'clock at night. And at 3 o'clock in the morning, I woke up with awful stomach pains and diarrhea. Why the digestive tract? Yeah, great question, Joe. So your digestive tract um, has an immune system that is ready to attack parasites um, with these cells called mast cells. So the GI tract is full of mast cells 
But in this case, it's mast cells gone wrong. Um, they are reacting to this allergen. It has nothing to do with killing a parasite. But and in that, they are causing symptoms like diarrhea, abdominal pain, nausea, and vomiting. And why does it take sometimes, what, four, five, six hours? Because normally you think, oh, if you eat a peanut and you're allergic to peanuts, boom, within minutes you're going to be feeling it. Or if you get stung by a bee and you're allergic to bees, you're going to have trouble breathing pretty fast. But with alpha-gal, it takes hours sometimes. Well, we think that part of that is the way that the sugar is absorbed into the GI tract and has to be processed first by the GI tract, um, along with fats typically. So that accounts, we think, for some of the delay, but part of that story is unknown. And if you have questions about alpha-gal meat allergy, tick bites, a story about your experience with alpha-gal, we want to hear it. Our lines are open at 888-472-3366. You can also email us, radio at peoplespharmacy.com, or you can send a message through Facebook or Twitter. We're at People's Pharmacy. That phone number again, 888-472-3366. Dr. Cummins, how would someone know if they are allergic to alpha-gal? This isn't like an instantaneous situation where you immediately can figure out what's going on. That's correct. Often people will say that they develop a new symptom or something changes for them, whether it's middle of the night gastrointestinal distress, unexplained hives that happen, a rash that's new. Um, fortunately, we have a blood test now. So the diagnosis becomes easier once you suspect it. And that's the key. You have to suspect it. Then you run the blood test, which is ubiquitous now. And then you can make your dietary or other avoidance changes following that. So back when you and the team at University of Virginia were figuring this out, doctors usually didn't suspect alpha-gal. They thought of other things, food poisoning, perhaps if the symptoms were gastrointestinal or some type of allergy, if it was uh, breathing problems, anaphylaxis. There are people who develop anaphylaxis, aren't there? There are, absolutely. So how do doctors diagnose it now? So basically at this point, the, the blood test has become um, orderable by almost any medical professional. How They're, good is it, by the way? The blood test is, is quite good. We know that it misses some people. We do have folks who test negative, but when we challenge them in the office, they still react. So as you know, with any medical test, there's going to be a false positive, false negative rate. So we're going to miss some. But in large part, we think it is quite sensitive. And, and that tends to become the way in which uh, we, we diagnose once we begin to suspect it. We have an email from Janet. She says, I've been dealing with a terrible itchy rash that comes and goes on my legs, and I've been dealing with this for years. After several trips to the dermatologist, they referred me to an allergist. She immediately mentioned seeing many cases of alpha-gal in uh, recent years. So that allergy has apparently been, been out there and has been uh, recognized to affect the skin. 
She got tested. The test came back positive. I never had typical symptoms related to alpha-gal, but this rash is maddening. I was diagnosed with Lyme several years ago. Do you think the rash could be from alpha-gal allergy? Yes, the rash, we do see persistent rash. I think of this often as a perhaps a manifestation similar to chronic eczema, where you'll the rash itself becomes someone's readout, so to speak. So that is their their allergic reaction is the flare in the skin. So they'll have a persistent rash. It certainly takes an astute professional to to run the test, make the diagnosis. But the other part of this often is the history. Are you an outdoorsy person? Do you have a history of tick bites? That perhaps wasn't in our thinking 12 years ago, but it's very much a part of the process now. Let's take a call from Buckingham, Virginia. Kenda, welcome to the People's Pharmacy. Your question, please. And Kenda, we just have about 45 seconds before the break. Hello. Thank you. I uh, was asking about the probability of a vegetarian or vegan diet being a good idea since I hear hooves and horns are the thing that uh, are behind this. I um, have been a vegetarian for 50 plus years, but I uh, have had Rocky Mountain spotted fever and multiple treatments for tick bites. So I do notice that I have reactions to dairy sometimes. Will that solve the problem, Dr. Cummins? It it typically will. Absolutely. It's, it's a great approach. Dairy is often variable, but for folks who react, we really do ask them to take dairy out as well. Well, we are going to take a, a short break, but when we come back, we're going to talk more about a variety of tick bites. And we'll find out about the new research on alpha-gal. Do people ever get over it? How widespread is alpha-gal allergy? Our lines are open for your calls. If our lines are full, email us. Our email address is radio at peoplespharmacy.com. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This podcast is made possible in part by Gaia Herbs. For more than 30 years, Gaia Herbs has nurtured the connection between people and plants to deliver nature's vitality. Their full-spectrum formulas are designed to provide an herb's complete array of beneficial compounds with nothing artificial to get in the way. Learn more at GaiaHerbs.com. That's G-A-I-A Herbs.com. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Terry Graydon. And I'm Joe Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Cocovia Dietary Supplements. Cocovia Memory Plus is formulated with 750 milligrams of cocoflavanols, a level clinically proven to improve three different types of memory and support brain function. More information at cocovia.com. 
Today, we're talking about some of the trouble tick bites can cause. We've been focusing on alpha-gal allergy to red meat with two experts. Dr. Sarah McGill is Associate Professor of Medicine at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. She's in the Department of Gastroenterology. Dr. Scott Cummins is Associate Professor of Medicine and Associate Chief for Allergy and Immunology at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. He's also the Medical Director of the UNC Allergy and Immunology Clinic. Have you developed an allergy to meat because of a tick bite? Can you describe what adjustments you've had to make? Do you have questions about other tick-borne diseases such as Lyme, Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever, or Southern Tick-Associated Rash Illness, Stargy? Our lines are open for your questions at 888-472-3366. You can send us an email, radio at peoplespharmacy.com. That phone number again, 888-472-3366. And... Oh, my. We wanted to ask Dr. McGill about how good that blood test is for people whose symptoms are primarily gastrointestinal. So the symptoms of alpha-gal syndrome in the people who just have GI symptoms are, again, abdominal pain, diarrhea, nausea, vomiting. These symptoms are not specific to alpha-gal, right? Many different GI illnesses can cause these symptoms. Um, So there have been three studies to date looking at GI patients who've been tested for alpha-gal because of a suspicion that they might have the allergy, and then how people do on a mammalian meat-free and alpha-gal-free diet. Um, Most of those patients do respond very well, meaning they have adequate response of their symptoms. It it is consistent with a diagnosis of alpha-gal syndrome. So I'd say it's 75 to 80% have in the series that we've, we've done. One of the problems, of course, is that somebody who experiences a lot of these GI symptoms may blame it on, well, I ate too much. I did, Something just didn't agree with me. Or, oh, I, I have IBD or irritable bowel syndrome. Yeah, it, They're not specific the way an allergy is where you have a skin rash, um, where you get stuffed, stuffed up and you can't breathe very well. So are your gastroenterology colleagues as clued in as the allergists? I think this is a completely new diagnosis, honestly. Um, The standard teaching among gastroenterologists is that allergies don't really cause IBS or um, particular GI symptoms without the other symptoms that you think of with allergy, rash, and trouble breathing. So so it's a new, really new diagnosis, and awareness is growing, but I, I still think it's probably low. We've got a comment that has come in. Um, In the early 1990s, my husband got this allergy to meat. The first time he got a reaction, we were in Rome, and he thought he had bed bugs. When we got back to Boston, he woke up with terrible hives and trouble breathing. He took Benadryl. When we got home, he went to an allergist and was told he was allergic to meat, but we never knew what started it. He was so grateful for years, careful, actually, for years, 
But some food that supposedly was meat-free sent him to the hospital. I'm having trouble reading the rest of this message. Can you, Joe? No, uh, we just ran out of space. But the, the question gets to this whole idea of meat exposure, because what happens if you go to a restaurant and they cook your chicken on a pan that they just cooked a steak on? Is that enough to cause problems? For some people, absolutely. And and we have this, this uh, variability throughout the world of food allergy, right? You have children who might be allergic to, to milk, egg, or peanut, and some of them can eat foods that come from a, a, a plant or a factory that may contain peanut, and others have to avoid that strictly. We see that same variation in the alpha-gal syndrome landscape where some patients are bothered by fume-based reactions, so they can't even smell it. So if they were at a barbecue, a cookout, and they sniffed the aroma of grilling burgers, that would be a problem. That would be enough for some people. Now, this person said Benadryl. Is Benadryl enough, or if it's a bad allergy, do they need to make a quick trip to the emergency department or even have an EpiPen on hand? Correct. We we talk about epinephrine autoinjectors as the antidote for anaphylaxis. As one of the one of the great teaching points in the allergy field is that if you take Benadryl, you still have anaphylaxis, but you won't itch. So no, it's not enough. Let's go to Lynchburg, Virginia, and talk to Yvonne. Yvonne, welcome to the People's Pharmacy. Hello. Go ahead, please. Yes, I've had alpha-gal for 14 years, and I had it, you know, back when even doctors didn't know what alpha-gal was. And I couldn't figure it out, and it kept happening until I had an anaphylactic attack. Um, they, once I was tested, it came back positive and, uh, I guess I'm not that sensitive because I don't eat meat and it's never happened again, but I was told that, um, it could also be caused by chiggers. I, I don't remember being bit by a tick and my two sons have it as well. Now we do a lot of mountain running and I would get bit by chiggers. Quite a bit, and I'm just wondering if it's possible to get alpha gal by being bit by chiggers. Well, I think there are other people who are wondering the same thing, Yvonne. Thanks for the question, Dr. Cummins. Any insights on this? So we we do usually ask patients about chigger bites, and I will say it's not clear to us that chiggers proper can actually do this. We have that's a very difficult experiment for us to do in the lab animal facility, as you might imagine. They're not happy to bring chiggers in. But, <laughs> right. but but the important point, I think, is that chiggers can look so much like the tiny larval seed ticks that we all are exposed to in central Virginia, central North Carolina. Those tiny little seed tick bites, you can get hundreds at once, and they can really mirror what chigger bites might look like. So we definitely ask about it. And let's be honest. Those tiny little ticks, if you just get one bite, you may not even know you were bitten. That's right. Exactly. And often you can get one bite, and, and many patients who end up with AGS. AGS? Alpha-gal syndrome. Ah, yes, okay. AGS for short. They will tell us that the sight of the bite itches them, 
and it lasts for weeks or months. It's slow to heal, and you can get that even from a single seed tick bite. Well, in fact, we have a question from Jeff who says, I've had alpha-gal for a couple of years. I'm wondering if the lone star tick has to stay attached to transmit the disease, or is just a quick bite enough? That's a great question. We often will tell patients if it's attached long enough to give you that itchy spot, then that's long enough. To to create an alpha-gal allergy. Dr. McGill, we have talked a little bit about people avoiding meat, but we haven't talked about what they don't have to avoid. So how about it? <laughs> right. So they don't have to be vegetarian or a vegan with alpha-gal syndrome. Um, certainly fish is totally fine, doesn't have alpha-gal. Chicken or another fowl, also totally fine, doesn't contain alpha-gal. Eggs. Eggs don't contain alpha-gal. So there are a lot of protein sources that don't have alpha-gal. Okay. And a dairy? Dairy does have some amounts of alpha-gal. It's, it's much less than in meat. Um, about half of our GI patients that we studied avoided dairy because they thought it did give them GI symptoms. And we go to Craig in Reedsville, North Carolina. Craig, welcome to the People's Pharmacy. Hello. Hi, Craig. Uh, thanks Thanks for the show. Um, out in the woods all the time, have had many, many ticks, and luckily for me have not had any bad um, symptoms or anything. But I've always wondered, is there research going on for a preventative like we, you know, for lack of a better word, give our dogs so they don't get bit by ticks? Um, for humans. You'd think that the uh, Army or something would be working on something. Okay. Like we'll ask <laughs> you to take that call um, over your radio. Dr. Cummins, I, I suspect that there are a lot of people who just wish I could take a pill well, and then none of those ticks would ever bite me. I wouldn't have to worry about Rocky Mountain spotted fever or well, alpha-gal. There's actually two issues. There's a medicine we give our dogs that it protects them from tick-borne diseases. And then there's also a vaccine against Lyme disease for dogs, but nothing like that for humans. So, You're absolutely correct, and, and uh, Craig's point is well taken, that if we could prevent the bite to begin with, it would really change the landscape, not only for, for alpha-gal syndrome, but Lyme disease, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, and others. There certainly is work going on, in labs across the country and, and globally, but I think, unfortunately, we're, we're years away from having a, a vaccine to prevent uh, tick bites or a, a tablet that we could take akin to what we use with our dogs. Well, speaking of looking into the crystal ball, what are your colleagues coming up with to treat alpha-gal or perhaps prevent it or come up with some kind of a magic wand so that so many people aren't suffering? There's a couple of approaches that we're taking. First, we're trying to understand the allergy cells that arise after the tick bites in hopes that we can use a medication or a vaccination to try to delete them. Um, the second portion of this, though, is that tick, the ticks induce an allergy that actually appears to fade over years. So after three to five years, for many patients who don't get additional bites, alpha-gal syndrome resolves in many of them. So well, we, let me just ask you, 
how would somebody know if they had gotten, quote unquote, over it, grew out of it somehow? Because, you know, for people who develop a really severe allergy, this test might be a little scary. You're, you're meaning the food test. I'm meaning the food test. Right. The, the I'm going to have a burger. <laughs> yeah. I'm going for that barbecue. That's Uh-oh. right. Uh-oh. So we don't take that lightly, as you as I as you stated, and I agree. So that's where the blood test helps us. So we can repeat the blood work, see if you've dropped to an undetectable point, and then you come in the office and and we do a, a food challenge where we think you're going to be fine. And hopefully you will be. Let's go to Egg Harbor City, New Jersey. Steve, welcome to the People's Pharmacy. Hello. Thank you for taking my call. You bet. Um, I lived in uh, Virginia for 30 years, practically, and then moved to southern New Jersey. Uh, last summer, got um, several tick bites and was ultimately diagnosed with aerolichiosis. And in this area, I find, unfortunately, I'm pulling ticks off on a weekly basis. Um, so what do you think of taking... Uh, they say, you know, if you pull off the tick within 24 hours, take a, a dose of doxycycline, um, you know, two pills one day and just keep living your life. So, you know, it's getting to the point where I'm like, I really don't want to take antibiotics as often as I have As you're taking off to. ticks. Well, you know, that's a great question, Steve. And we've heard that from people in New York State and in Connecticut where Lyme disease is so widespread. You know, if you if you discover a tick, just take doxycycline. Don't wait to get symptoms. But I'm sure a lot of physicians find that a little nerve-wracking. So, Dr. Cummins, what about the idea of prophylactic antibiotics if you're bitten by a tick and you're afraid of Lyme or, or lichiosis or Rocky and Mountain spotted fever? Presumably, even southern New Jersey is potentially within Lyme disease range. Correct. Because even North Carolina has some Lyme disease. In our western counties in North Carolina in the mountains, you're right, we do have some emerging Lyme disease. Uh, and, and where Steve is in New Jersey... He has Lone Star ticks, too, because he mentioned ehrlichiosis. Yeah. So we know then he's probably at risk for AGS as well. The Infectious Disease Society of America does have guidelines around doxycycline prophylaxis. Tends to be more with Lyme disease. At least that's where the data come from. But there certainly is some interpretation that could could perhaps broaden that to other tick-borne diseases. But it wouldn't have an impact on alpha-gal syndrome. Correct. Does not affect AGS. Terry, we have an email from Heidi. Heidi writes, I live in Virginia, and I've had alpha-gal for 10 years. I get tested every year. People keep telling me about acupuncture treatment being successful. Have you heard of this? So have you heard of this, Dr. Cummins? I, I have heard of this. I think it's tends to be ear-based acupuncture. And we've had a few patients who have who've gone through. And I think so far there's no controlled trial data. Anecdotally, some people have been helped. I'm not sure that everyone has been helped, but it's one of the things that's out there. We've got a call from South Dakota. Rick, is it Wabe? And welcome to the yes. People's Pharmacy. Hello. Hi, Rick. Uh, 
I was just curious what the range, how far north they range. Do they come, do they come up into this area? Because we've got a lot of ticks up here. <laughs> well, that's a great <laughs> question, especially because the Lone Star Tick has been expanding its range. It really, ha- it really has expanded the range uh, recently. We think the white-tailed deer is the main cause of that. To my knowledge, Rick, there's not much in the way of Lone Star Ticks in South Dakota but I worry that it's coming because we now know that there are Lone Star ticks in the Great Lakes area, which weren't roughly five to seven years ago. Is there any place where there aren't ticks? Antarctica. <laughs> <laughs> so we're, we're talking about Europe as well, right? Absolutely. We, we often joke that AGS has gone global because there are cases in Australia and Europe and and there's tick-borne diseases in those places as well. Well, let's right. talk about tick-borne diseases for a moment because, you know, we've heard a lot about Rocky Mountain spotted fever. We've heard a lot about Lyme disease. But there are a bunch of others. And there's one that's now got me really a little alarmed. I don't even know how to pronounce it. It's called Powassan po- Powassan virus disease. Powassan virus. There you right. go. Uh-huh. Right, Powassan virus um, is fortunately extremely rare, but unfortunately can be very deadly. deadly. Yes. I know Kay Hagen died of Powassan virus uh, several years ago. Well, we are going to take sad. a short break. When we come back, we're going to talk about these other tick-related problems. Which ticks are most likely to spread disease in the U.S.? Our lines are open for you, 888-472-3366, or email us, radio, at peoplespharmacy.com. Have you ever experienced Rocky Mountain spotted fever? What about Lyme disease? What's it been like? Have you gotten over it? And what about alpha-gal allergy? We'd like to hear what it's been like for you to deal with this very puzzling meat allergy. Again, give us a call, 888-472-3366. You're listening to The People's Pharmacy with Joe and Terry Graydon. This podcast is made possible in part by Cocovia maker of the most proven and concentrated flavanol extract in the market today, Cocoa Pro Cocoa Extract. With the proven power of cocoa flavanols, Cocovia supplements support blood flow from head to toe. This National Physical Fitness and Sports Month, give your heart and brain 100% and support a healthy you with the most proven flavanol bioactive, Get 20% off your Cocovia order from May 8th through May 22nd using the discount code FITNESSPOD at Cocovia.com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome back to The People's Pharmacy. I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. The People's Pharmacy is made possible in part by Cocovia Dietary Supplements, 
Cocovia Cardio Health is offered in both convenient capsule and powder formats, with each serving containing 500 milligrams of cocoflavanols to support heart health. More information available at cocovia.com. Today we are talking about the illnesses that ticks can cause. Our guests are experts on alpha-gal meat allergy caused by the bite of a lone star tick. Dr. Scott Cummins is Associate Professor of Medicine and Associate Chief of Allergy and Immunology at the University of North Carolina. He's also the Medical Director of the UNC Allergy and Immunology Clinic. Dr. Sarah McGill is Associate Professor of Medicine at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. She is a gastroenterologist. And we invite you to share your experience or ask your question about alpha-gal allergy or other tick-related problems. You can call 888-472-3366. And before we go back to the phones or take emails, let's just summarize the symptoms both the skin symptoms as well as the gastrointestinal symptoms of alpha-gal allergy. And then let's talk a little bit about the symptoms associated with Lyme disease or Rocky Mountain spotted fever. So start us off with the classic alpha-gal syndrome, AGS. Typically it occurs at night is the onset of symptoms because our in the U.S. at least our big meal is often dinner. So middle of the night, typically hives, itching, one of the things we see and hear a lot is palmar erythema. So redness of the palms that are itchy. Thank it, you for the translation. <laughs> it, it It's almost like sort of a prodrome in some way. But then people can also have shortness of breath. They can have lightheadedness because part of the allergic reaction when it's severe is to drop your blood pressure. So you can feel lightheaded or dizzy um, and have trouble breathing as well as have gastrointestinal issues. So the GI symptoms of alpha-gal syndrome can be alone without any skin symptoms, without any lightheadedness or problems breathing. These can be GI symptoms that are episodic, intermittent, like once a month, or in some people, they're a daily thing. So um, these symptoms can mimic irritable bowel syndrome, diarrhea, abdominal pain, having to rush to the bathroom because suddenly you have an urge to, to have a bowel movement. Um, they can be just nausea and vomiting, um, or they can be a combination of those nausea, vomiting, abdominal pain, and diarrhea all at once. And the treatment is? The treatment is taking alpha-gal out of your diet and being not exposed to alpha-gal. So that sounds like a simple thing. It's, it's not. Um, so, of course, taking mammalian meat, pork, beef, and sometimes dairy out of the diet, gelatin has alpha-gal. And well, as a matter of fact, we have a question from Linda in Chapel Hill. Linda, go ahead with your question, please. Hello. This is, uh, yeah, I'm calling from Chapel Hill, which seems to have a lot of people with alpha-gal. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, uh, I I was calling about the gelatin. I take D3, you know, and usually it's hard to find out what the gelatin is. Um, do you have any suggestions for, because sometimes it's beef or pork gelatin uh, that's in a capsule or, or surrounding a capsule. Um, what are suggestions for that? And also I have another question about test results. My doctor of my annual, I had a very low 
I tested low for alcovigal, but is there a low really? I mean, because I have friends who have low, low numbers in the test, but they still have a lot of symptoms. So number one, two questions. Let's start with gelatin because, goodness gracious, there are so many pills, capsules that have gelatin. Now, does Linda need to look for vegetarian capsules for her supplements? Right. It depends on how sensitive um, she is. So, you know, many people with alpha gel syndrome may be able to tolerate some amount of gelatin and maybe not. So it also depends on what your symptoms are. She is right about a lot of alpha-gal in Chapel Hill. So um, Bob Sandler, who's a gastroenterologist at UNC, had blood samples from colonoscopy patients, patients who didn't necessarily have um, GI symptoms. They were just coming in for their screening colonoscopy. Scott and I ran their alpha-gal antibodies, and about a third of them actually have some amount of antibodies. Now, not all of these people have alpha-gal syndrome. Most of, most of them are, are actually asymptomatic from meat. And, and what about this idea of a very low response on the test? It's not uncommon. We see that. And I will often tell patients it's a bit like a pregnancy test. If, if the clinical symptoms fit, meaning you have reactions or or issues after eating red meat, and and we think that you have AGS and you test positive, doesn't matter to me how high that test is. It it turns out often having a very high number means you've had recent tick bites. Uh-huh. So we actually have a question about the test uh, from Candace in Christiansburg, Virginia. Candace, your question, please. Well, she actually asked my question. I was going to ask the exact same question. Okay. Just answered it. So well, great. Um, I do have I do have another question though regarding um, actually seeing your provider. I don't know if Dr. Cummins or Dr. McGill could maybe expand on the best step when you are wanting to get the alpha gal test, and maybe your provider does not know about alpha gal quite as well. Could they speak to that? Thanks for that question, Candace. Dr. Uh, McGill? Yeah, I would say that that's more pertinent probably for gastroenterologists um, because I think allergists tend to know more about alpha-gal syndrome than, than maybe your GI provider or your primary care provider. Um, if you're only having GI symptoms, I would recommend that you go. Um, the American Gastroenterological Association has new clinical practice update on alpha-gal syndrome, I would recommend that you print that out and actually take it to your GI doctor, um, and you may be educating them. And we will put a link to that in the notes on the website for today's show. It's not there yet, but we'll do that. Should all of your gastroenterology colleagues think in terms of alpha-gal syndrome when somebody comes in and they're complaining about you know, my GI tract has just been terrible the last six months or so. If there's no obvious trigger, they, they're not associating their GI problems with a tick bite. Should they just routinely start having a blood test these days? And, and how expensive is it? The blood test is relatively inexpensive. 
I think that is reasonable um, to think of alpha-gal syndrome, especially here and especially in the range of the Lone Star Tick. So if you're at Stanford, where I trained in Silicon Valley, the Lone Star Trick, you know, it's not out there. So maybe think of that less likely. But here in the Southeast and the Mid-Atlantic states, absolutely. Let's talk to Annabelle. Welcome to the People's Pharmacy, Annabelle. Thank you very much. Good morning. Hi. What's your question? Hi. Well, uh, sir, uh, I was diagnosed with Lyme disease in 1996, and I was only given like a two-week oral um, uh, um, doxycycline um, medicine. I feel like I, I have chronic Lyme disease. I'm wondering why. Um, they do not have a comprehensive lab test to, to um, diagnose Lyme disease because I can't get something treated that the doctor can't see evidence of. Right. The doctors do have a hard time treating something if they can't diagnose it. Dr. Cummins, can you address this? I, I can try. The, there are, I think, a handful of reasons why Lyme disease is difficult to diagnose, particularly in the chronic scenario. But to me, the most um, the most common issue is that the, the the bacteria, the spirochetes that cause Lyme disease, like to live inside the cells. They're hiding out. They're hiding out. So it's really it's a challenge for for any provider to to make a a consistent diagnosis with chronic Lyme, probably because those those spirochetes are not really available. Well, I think a lot of the infectious disease experts say, well. You treated it with doxycycline. Right. Two weeks of doxycycline. That was the standard treatment. Therefore, one and done. Nothing to worry about. And what you're suggesting is that maybe not one and done. And certainly patients say not always. Correct. And this is definitely that area where the art of medicine may be perhaps ahead of the science a tad and and. So there is some gray area, I think, in chronic Lyme. We have a, uh, a an email, actually, that addresses, kind of really overlaps between the topics we've been talking about. Uh, Sassy writes from Southern Virginia, I contracted Lyme disease over a decade ago. I had no bullseye or immediate telltale signs. But among other issues... I had extreme GI issues in the beginning. It was labeled as IBS or diverticulitis, but there wasn't any definitive treatment. I still suffer with rashes and hives. I've never been diagnosed with AGS. Can I just request the blood test via my primary physician? Yes, you should. If you have never been screened, you should definitely ask for the alpha-gal. It's alpha-gal IgE antibodies. Okay, alpha-gal, IgE antibodies, that's the test to request. Now, is it possible to have multiple conditions associated with tick bites? Not just alpha-gal, but maybe Lyme, maybe Rocky Mountain spotted fever. But maybe different ticks carry different diseases. Precisely. So certainly different ticks do carry different diseases, but... When you talk to the tick experts about this Lone Star tick, they will tell you it's a bit of a, a waste basket. It can carry multiple different things. Same tick can carry multiple different infections. So we do see a fair amount of lap, uh, overlap in the AGS world, particularly 
with ehrlichiosis and Rocky Mountain spotted fever. Can you tell us a little bit about the symptoms? Because they're quite different from alpha-gal allergy. First, Rocky Mountain spotted fever, and what's the overlap with things like ehrlichiosis, anaplasmosis, or Lyme disease? Yeah, it. I often think of these as typical symptoms you might experience from a flu-like illness. So there is a tremendous amount of overlap in each of those uh, bacterial um, diagnoses that you just mentioned. So fever, headache, muscle aches, some of them will have a rash, but not always, can have um, upset stomach and gastrointestinal symptoms as part of that as well. So it looks often very different than the allergic side, particularly in terms of the headache and fever. Now, we have a question about Rocky Mountain spotted fever. Uh, Misty, what's your question, please? Hello. Um, About three weeks ago, I was bitten, and I developed a red uh, area about the size of my fist around the bite. And so I went to uh, emergency care, and they tested me for sick fever, and it came back positive for Rocky Mountain spotted fever at 1.54. And I read up on it, and I freaked out about the symptoms, but I have not had any symptoms. I haven't had a headache or a rash or anything. Now, Misty, if they tested you for Rocky Mountain spotted fever and they think that's what you have, they would have prescribed an antibiotic, no? They did, doxycycline. Okay. Well, you may be home free, Misty, because that doxycycline might have uh, done the job. And uh, the fact that you don't have any symptoms, that's really good good news. news. Let's talk about preventing tick bites, please, because this is the time when everybody wants to go out hiking in the woods. They want to have picnics. And ticks are everywhere. And we've already identified the fact that there are an awful lot of nasty ticks out there. You don't actually have to go out into the woods. Backyard. You could go into your backyard, right? Absolutely. I mean, I have patients who live in Chatham County that just laugh when I ask if they've ever had a tick bite. Absolutely. Just going to get my mail in the morning to the mailbox, I've gotten tick bites. So we've got Lone Star ticks. We've got deer ticks. We've got brown dog ticks. We've got Western black leg ticks. I mean, the Western black legged are probably in the West. Probably. But the bottom line is ticks are everywhere. How can we prevent them? So they'll grab onto your shoes, run up your legs. Um, The key thing is maybe footwear, having some good footwear. I spend a lot of time in the woods. I love to kill wisteria and other invasive species in in the backyard, which is a Chapel Hill public land. Um, I use really tall boots, rubber boots. Um, And for others who are out hiking boots, tucking their pants actually in their socks creates somewhat of a barrier spraying permethrin. Um, around that area is helpful as well. We like to put on gators that have been treated with permethrin uh, before we take the dogs for a walk Explain in the woods. Explain gators, Terry. Well, they're, um, they're protective gear for your legs. They slip on over your shoes and the bottom part of your pants. And in theory, the treatment is adequate to really discourage ticks. And I think it works pretty well because we have... Uh, 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 there's no wood around. No, don't, do not say anything. <laughs> but the bottom line does seem to be that these permethrin-coated 
gaiters, and we now have them up to our knees so that when we go hiking, uh, we're somewhat protected. But then we always do a tick check. Bingo. So tell us about that. So coming in from the woods, definitely check yourself, check your spouse, partner, family member, have someone look over you for anything that is either moving or attached. These keep in mind these seed ticks can can, be can like, look like the a side of a poppy seed. That's right? right. Absolutely. And so definitely good to give a once over or maybe even check twice. And the future for both alpha gal allergy and for other tick borne diseases, because I know everybody wants a vaccine, they want a treatment, they want to prevent these things from causing the misery that that they can do. Yeah, there's a there is a tremendous amount of research going on. The CDC has actually been at the tip of the spear for alpha gal syndrome, and uh, we've been really thankful for for their recognition of it and and support from the research side. I think the idea of a vaccine is definitely on the horizon, hopefully within the next five years. And that's a vaccine for alpha-gal. Correct. Okay. Well, that's all the time we have. Thank you so much for listening and for sharing your stories. And thanks to Dr. Scott Cummins, Associate Professor of Medicine and Associate Chief for Allergy and Immunology at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. He's also the Medical Director of the UNC Allergy and Immunology Clinic. Thanks also to Dr. Sarah McGill, Associate Professor of Medicine at the University of North Carolina at Chapel Hill. She's in the Department of Gastroenterology and Hepatology. The People's Pharmacy is a co-production of North Carolina Public Radio, WUNC, with the People's Pharmacy. Lynn Siegel produced today's show. Pamela Alberta and Ayasi Chinflu provided technical assistance. Al Wadarski engineered. The People's Pharmacy theme music is by B.J. Lederman. The People's Pharmacy is brought to you in part by Cocovia Dietary Supplements. Cocovia Memory and Focus is a unique formula made with a special blend of ingredients that work together to promote attention and support long-term memory. It supports five areas of brain performance all in one capsule. More information at cocovia.com. Today's show is number 1,344. You'll find it online at peoplespharmacy.com. You can subscribe to our podcast through your favorite podcast provider. We post the show on our website on Monday morning. And if you go to peoplespharmacy.com, you can sign up for our free online newsletter. This is an easy way to stay on top of the breaking health news stories. By subscribing to our newsletter, you will also have regular access to our weekly podcast, and you'll find out ahead of time which topics we'll be covering. In Durham, North Carolina, I'm Joe Graydon. And I'm Terry Graydon. Thank you for listening. Please join us again next week. Thank you for listening to the People's Pharmacy Podcast. It's an honor and a pleasure to bring you our award-winning program week in and week out. But producing and distributing this show as a free podcast takes time and costs money. If you like what we do and you'd like to help us continue to produce high-quality, independent healthcare journalism, please consider chipping in. 
All you have to do is go to peoplespharmacy.com slash donate. Whether it's just one time or a monthly donation, you can be part of the team that makes this show possible. Thank you for your continued loyalty and support. We couldn't make our show without you.